Radio shows you love from the people you know. This is Sam Talks Technology. Hello and welcome again to another in the series of Sam Talks Technology. And today uh, I've got a brilliant guest on. Uh, he's an old friend. I haven't seen him for a long time. But he's one of the guys, if you ever meet him, you cannot help but smile and laugh. He's got the best smile in the industry, I think. Uh, welcome. His name is Walid al Sakaf. He runs a podcast called Insure Blocks. Walid, how are you? Hi, Sam. Long time no see. It's good to see you again. And you, my friend, and you. And I, I genuinely mean you have the best smile in this industry. <laughs> I haven't. And that includes all the girls. I mean, it's <laughs> great. Seriously, if you've never met Walid, take the time to do it. Um, anyway, how are you this morning? You're busy, 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 I hear. Call yes, after call. Yes. Yes, call after call. That's the, uh, the pleasures of running your own business and having clients who uh, live in different uh, time zones as yourself. Yes. And where do we find you? Where are you today? Well, right now I'm in uh, London and it's uh, getting cooler, I, I have to admit, but uh, I'm not complaining. <laughs> cool. Uh, now, uh, InsureBlocks, what is it and what do you do? Sure. So InsureBlocks is two things. One, it's an educational blockchain podcast and the second aspect it's a boutique consultancy firm that specializes on blockchain technology okay. and you can find us on introbox.com or on many different podcasts yes and you're very active on linkedin which is where i found you um so when did you start when did you start all this so uh, I started the first podcast on the 19th of March, 2018, which in um, blockchain years is like 10 years. It feels like it. And the, the, gray, the gray hairs are a testament to that. Um, it all started because I uh, came late, I thought, to discovering what is blockchain in uh, November, December of 2017. So I started self-teaching myself. Found it hard to find some useful resources that really explained to me what is blockchain. And at that time, at that time, I had just joined an insurance uh, company to teach them how to do innovation. And whilst I was there, I thought, hey, maybe I'll have a go at trying to teach them what is blockchain. So I did a, a lunch and learn. I said, this is what blockchain is. This is what the impact it can have on the insurance industry. It was the most uh, well-attended uh, lunch and learn they ever had. And I was made head of blockchain shortly after that presentation. I thought, wow, that was quite easy. And I, do the, <laughs> I do the same thing for the whole insurance industry. In the <laughs> land of the blind, I'm the one-eyed king. Yes. You know, the entrepreneur instinct kind of kicked back in. Um, as you know, Sam, you know, we've crossed paths in the, um, in the, pre, in the past about yep. other stars that you know, I co-founded. And so I decided to, to put 1,200 pounds to see what can that give me. I've never done podcasting. I still don't quite understand what is blockchain. I had still no clue what insurance is. What's the worst that can go wrong, right? Yeah. Uh, so bought the gear, built the website, and then the 19th of March, launched the first podcast, and I've been doing one every week. Um, last Monday, I published my 85th podcast. Um, Congratulations. Think, thank you very much. Um, I've interviewed most of the uh, heads of blockchain within the insurance sector around the world. So we're talking about firms like AXA, like Allianz, like Swiss Re, Nationwide, um, you name it. Um, and uh, which we'll be talking, I'm sure, later on is in the show is where I'm taking um, intro blocks a little bit later on. But effectively, it's looking at 
what is the impact blockchain has in other industries, such as pharmaceuticals and supply chain? What is the impact blockchain has in building the Web 3.0, i.e. the conversion stack of blockchain being an enabler of AI, IoT, big data, and robotics? And the third area, which the podcast looks like, is how do you build effective governance solutions? Blockchain problems, blockchains that are set up in different industries don't, their biggest challenge isn't around technology, it's around governance. It's how do you get a group of people to agree to work together in a manner that makes sense? And how can I agree to opening up my golden chest of data, thinking that my competitors are gonna see it and that I'm gonna die when I actually know. You're moving the competitive field to a new level by removing some of this backend friction that we all face. Okay, wow. Um, okay, before we get into the, the details of what DLTs or, or distributed ledgers are and blockchains, um, so with, with the insure blocks, you've been traveling the world a lot. Um, what's the most interesting place you've been to so far? <laughs> Cheeky question, Sam. <laughs> all the places are very interesting. <laughs> oh, come on. No one's listening. I can tell you what has been the most uh, thrilling experience. Okay. So um, I flew into El Salvador uh, a few months ago, and let's just say. It felt like though there was a hurricane next door because I know we were walking me and a colleague to, to, to the taxi rank and then suddenly you get a few drops of rain, then it's torrential rains and then I'm kidding you not, tree branches were being ripped off and wow. they're starting hitting people. So we all try and take cover, running with our suitcases above our heads, hoping we don't get hit by just massive tree branches. So that was very exciting, Okay, <laughs> to say the least. I could imagine myself attending to the, the show with a tree branch through my body, but anyway. Oh, not what we need. Now, the reason, no. I ask, the reason I ask that question is, given that you do travel so far, is the world uniformly, uh, you know, looking at blockchain and DLTs and taking it, or or, or is the West ahead or is the East ahead, or you know, who, who's who's at the bleeding edge of all this? Sure. So, uh, very good question. I actually uh, did a podcast with uh, a project called Gov Chain Project, and they're here to actually answer that very well. They've they develop a traffic light system that ranks countries all around the world depending on how advanced they are in terms of blockchain. So it really depends on what do you mean by blockchain? Blockchain is this kind of all encapsulating term for, for people in some camps, it could mean um, public and uh, private blockchain, or for some people it's, it's that plus crypto. It's, there's many different ways of looking at it. Okay, now, before, we, before we go in there, just for those who don't know what a blockchain is, let's just go back to 101. What is a blockchain? Okay, okay. So we, you got to give in a step further back to that. So, so blockchain is a form of DLT, distributed ledger technology. Okay. okay? There are different types of, of, of DLTs and blockchain just happens to be one of them. The most well-known blockchain out there that is, let's say, production grade that's being used is called Bitcoin. Right. Now, what is a blockchain is effectively um, like a decentralized database that, is ha that records information in a set of blocks, one after the other. And what Bitcoin has done is to prove that 
you can exchange money between different participants who don't know each other without the need of a central intermediary to say, yes, you have enough money in your bank account that is yours to send it from me to Sam. And when Sam receives it, you know, you have received it and I've not sent that money at the same time to somebody else. But it avoids the problem of double spending. And it does that by removing intermediaries through effectively computational power, where you get um, a bunch of random people or miners, as they're called, to validate you know, this transaction by using computational power, by effectively answering an algorithmic uh, formula. And if they answer it first, and it is supported by the rest of the Bitcoin community, then that is that block is recorded as the truth. Okay. So, and it's non-reputable. Yes. Yes. Now, that is one form. Now, another form of um, blockchain, if you want, is like it's is as I said, blockchain is a form of DLT. The difference is that it's not set in a series of blocks. Is that basically, if you and I are two companies, we can access each other's databases. Our databases are in sync. Okay. There is different levels of what I can share information with you. It works on the permission-based system. The difference between that and, let's say, uh, in a public blockchain like Ethereum or as uh, Bitcoin is that in those instances, it is immutable in a public blockchain, whilst in a private blockchain, I wouldn't go so far as saying it's immutable. It is what's called temper evident. Say I, that again, it's temper. It's temper evident. Oh, okay. I can change information, but the, the fact that I've changed it is made evident by through the, the, the LT. Okay. It is not immutable in the sense that you can't physically change it. You can. And uh, immutability is, is one of the things. There's so many cash phrases. That's, that, that's it's why it's so hard to define what is blockchain and, and DLT. Because there's so many cash phrases that are, that are thrown. And we think immutability, okay, it's safe. Actually, it isn't quite safe. Um, if you look at Ethereum Classic, which is a variation of Ethereum mainnet, if you want, that was hacked earlier this year. And it was hacked 100 levels deep of a chain. So what that means is that if you have a chain and you go back 100 previous blocks, that is quite deep, um, then all the versions of what happened after that are disqualified. So if within those hundred blocks I had sent you money on that, that is now gone. Wow. Okay. It doesn't exist. So that's why immutability, I would argue at the moment sits correctly in Bitcoin because it is the largest public blockchain and in Ethereum also. So, but if we're coming back to the, to, to that definitions, if you want, so again, so it's tamper evident. It is a distributed database. It uses um, um, standardized form of data. So the data has to be standardized for it to be able to be readable. Um, it uses um, cryptograph cryptographically secure itself. And it has this cool little thing called a smart contract. Uh, now a smart contract is something that was really developed with Ethereum and Again, one of those expressions that don't mean much because it's neither smart nor a contract. Yeah, no, it's the most confusing word to use, but do, do explain what it is to yeah, other people. So, so a smart contract effectively is just codified business logic that says if a deterministic event happens, if X happens, do Y automatically. So 
if my plane is delayed by over two hours and the contract says, if Waleed's plane is delayed by over two hours, pay out his claim, his insurance claim, then it's paid out automatically. So that so has business been business rules really, isn't it? Put into code. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And it works with, as I said, a deterministic event that would come in through what's called an oracle. An oracle is basically a trusted source of information, like a um, flight database or weather database that, that provide the information to the smart contract that said, this has happened. Now the smart contract looks at its business rules and says, okay, do Y or Z. So that works really well within the blockchain because blockchain has this information that comes in and it can uh, automate this process. So this is what blockchain is and stroke DLT because unfortunately the both terms have been used interchangeably many times in the past and still are, uh, which is frustrating, but that's the way it is from uh, the state of the market today. Um, what is also known about blockchain is that it's the foundational layer of truth. Okay, that's if, a nice sentence, I like that. If you and I have access to the same source of information, you and I could be partners, but you and I can be competitors. And that truth is undisputable. If you think about a large amount of cost of business that we have today, it's about reconciliation of information. Mm -hmm. So whether, you know, you and I, you're my marketing agent, let's say, and you're saying, okay, I've managed to generate X amount of clicks to your website, Waleed, I will say, okay, you prove it to me, right? <laughs> and, or, or if I'm a supply chain logistics company and you sent me, you know, 200 iPhones or, or whatever, and I need to distribute it. I have to prove all of that. And at the moment, the way we work is that we all have a series of siloed databases, you know, which contains our version of the truth. With a blockchain, we're all working on a shared distributed uh, database. It's not a centralized one because the risk of centralized ones, of course, is they get hacked. We saw that happen with Equifax. We saw that happen with Target in the US. We saw that happen many places around the world. But you, you just said five minutes ago also, blockchain is hacked, has been hacked as well. So, so again, just to, just to clarify, uh, it was Ethereum Classic. Now, in the blockchain public space, what defines as a the safest form of blockchain is the one that is the largest, which is the most distributed because that reduces the amount of vectors that you can break in. Um, Bitcoin has never been hacked. What has been hacked are third-party wallet applications yeah. right, that sit on top of it. But Bitcoin itself has never been hacked. Okay. So um, in the DLT space, uh, in the enterprise space, as far as I'm aware, the two main, well, the three main um, players are um, the Ethereum, um, Enterprise Alliance, which was built um, private blockchains, the DLT, private blockchain stroke DLT solutions. You have uh, Hyperledger Fabric, yeah, that alliance also. One of its main um, players in that is IBM. And the third one is R3's Cord Corda. Right. To the best of my knowledge, none of these had been hacked in the enterprise world. So they're the three big players. What about Amazon, AWS, or uh, Microsoft Azure, or, or Google? So, so they, they provide uh, managed blockchain services. Right. 
So they haven't developed per se their own blockchain. So for example, Azure and uh, Amazon's AWS, you can spin up a, a an R3 Corda blockchain or an IBM or a Hyperledger fabric on any of those platforms. So it's just a quick and easy way for you to launch uh, blockchain solutions without you know having to build every single node yourself. Okay, so so we we. I, I'm clear now. We've got public and private blockchains. Yeah. Enterprise blockchains really are private blockchains that companies are collaborating together. Yes. In the space that you're working in, then obviously you started off insurance, but are you working in other verticals as well? Yes. So the, um, the two other verticals I've initiated are the pharmaceutical one. Yep. So I've done a few podcasts with a bunch of uh, pharma tech companies, but also with Novartis, uh, which is one of the most well-established pharmaceutical company um, out there. And they, they've been uh, experimenting uh, with blockchain. Then the other vertical I'm looking at is supply chain. So here I focused on trade lens, which is mainly in the marine industry in terms of supply chain. And um, to give you an idea, uh, a ship when it leaves harbor has to exchange over a hundred different paper documents. That is crazy. Uh, we have, we, the, the thing is, is that what we forget, people like myself and, and you, Sam, you know, who, who live in the bleeding edge of technology, you know, we're, we're sometimes we're up there in Mount Olympus and we, we're thinking everyone is, is up there with us. And we right. realize actually the wide, most of the world is still working on paper processes. So here we're saying, you know, we need to have blockchain and DLT and AIs and all these things. And, and the guys are still exchanging paper or at best emails, right? We, we, there's still a huge amount of digitization work that needs to happen before blockchain can really uh, launch uh, in a massive way. But that is happening. It is, I've seen it happen definitely in the insurance industry. It's happening in the banking industry. It's happening in, um, in supply chain, in pharmaceuticals, and, and, and others, which I hope to, to reach. But that is a reality that we face today, is that there's still a lot of paper processes out there. And if they're not, they're email processes. And what is email? Email is meant to be just a communication tool. However, most companies are using it as a workflow tool and as a database, which yes. is crazy. Yeah. Because if, if that person is on a holiday, you're screwed. <laughs> you, know, you have to wait until they're back or yeah, you need to get access to that password to be able to get that one email, that one Excel file that's stored in, in their email um, mailbox. So, and then even if you go over, over that problem, then you've got databases, right? Now those databases record information in a certain format. It may not be a, a standardized data format. So how are you gonna exchange information? I don't know if you remember when a Mac used to send a Microsoft Word file to a PC, it used to come out as garbage. That is- Oh, I problem. remember that very well. Don't you worry, yes. <laughs> so that's I, data standardization. I was the Microsoft systems engineer for Office. And every time I walked into the Apple, headquarters in london oh daggers hate me hate me oh <laughs> yeah no I've, I've had scars from that so yes i remember it well so so so, so that's you know a, a fundamental problem and then we we evolved and then we developed those apis great you know apis suddenly gave us a way to communicate the problem is that apis need to be maintained right and and apis change and and, and then you have both parties have, have to change that but the other thing which perhaps we're going to talk a little bit later on. There's one 
fundamental thing that's happening in the world. The amount of data that's being produced is increasing dramatically. Okay. Now, how, what are we dealing with? How are we dealing with all of this data? At the moment, it's all sitting in silo databases, right? We're collecting all this structured and unstructured data, and most of the time we have no clue what to do with it. So it sits on that database. Now, if that was gold, we'd all be filthy rich, right? But well, it's not. Data is oil, as they say. Yes, but data also for me is like a fresh strawberry. If you don't take a bite into it straight away, it will rot. Okay. Data has a temporal value to it. Nice. It okay. can be processed straight away. Even if you're into employ the billions of people we have on this planet, we wouldn't be able to process all the data we're, we're producing. And it's still increasing. And it's increasing for two reasons. One is the number of IoT, Internet of Thing devices, that and is proliferating around the world. Much worse soon. Exactly. But also, you got 5G. With 5G, you can communicate a whole lot more data faster. You know, you, you're, you're, what, 5G on the mobile will be faster than most um, uh, modems. I mean, not modems, I'm only saying Wi-Fi routers. I'm starting to show my age here. <laughs> Welcome to the 21st century. <laughs> yes. Um, so, explosion of data. But the other aspect is the value of data is, is growing exponentially. And accountancy firms are now trying to figure out how do you put that, you know, effectively, you know, on your balance sheet. It's that data. So it's easier to explain if I give you an example, right? Yeah, go for it. So in 2004, the U.S. military launched what was called the DARPA Grand Challenge. Now, that was a challenge that invited the public sector to build autonomous vehicles to finish the race in Omaha Desert in the United States. The, 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 the vehicle that finished the race would win a million dollars. Zero cars finished it in 2004. They did a challenge again in 2005, and five vehicles finished it. The winning car was called the Stanley, and it was led by Sebastian Thron from Stanford University. And that whole team was recruited by Google, and that was led to the creation of Waymo. which is Badly named, great. but there you go. Yeah. Um, in 2018... Waymo was valued by Morgan Stanley at $175 billion. That is more than uh, Daimler, the producers of Mercedes, BMW, and Volkswagen combined. Now, okay. we all know what it means, you know, an investment bank that is really valued X amount and it's a lot of hot air, right? I mean, just look at WeWork, for example. But anyway, <laughs> swiftly moving on. Yes. Um, well, there is a bit of sense in that valuation. Because what is important is if you look at the amount of autonomous miles Waymo has driven. It is superior to Tesla, Uber, Ford, GM, Nissan, and I think one more, times two. That's the amount of data they have accumulated. It is that data which fed into an AI to drive the vehicle that gives them a competitive advantage over every other player. Yeah, that's the AI data set, yeah. Exactly. So if um, Fiat, Renault, Opel, whoever, Ford wants to build an autonomous vehicle, there's no way they're going to catch up with that amount of data. Just no way. They're, they're, they have to partner now with Waymo. That gives Waymo, the, the valuation was based on Waymo selling their, their package, because it can be retrofitted in any car, at $2,500 per vehicle. And that's the valuation they came in. So the point, again, of this example is to say that data is increasing and the value of data is increasing and that's where apis won't work anymore because 
when I'm sharing information with you via an API, I have no clue what's going to happen to the data that I share with you. You could be copying, you could be sharing, you could be do whatever you want. Yeah, that's and, Cambridge Analytica and Facebook's API. Yeah, and that's what Bitcoin has demonstrated is that in the Web 2.0 world, if I send a picture of you, you could send it to anyone in the world. It didn't matter in, in any case. In the Web 3.0 world, we've given data a value. And like money, you don't want that money to go everywhere else. You know, you want it to make sure it goes from one part to another. So here, when I'm sharing data with you, I'm not double spending it. Like, like a, and that's what Bitcoin has ensured. So in a blockchain world, data has value and it can be tracked. And that is the fundamental difference of the Web 2.0 and the Web 3.0 is that now we've moved from distribution of data to one of the value of data and how we exchange it. And that's why APIs worked really well up to now but it was this explosion of data and the value of data, it won't be able to cope. Okay. And the, the, the point you were making about um, the, the accountants having to value it onto the books. So when I was doing my MBA, the biggest challenge at the time, and, we, and I did it years ago, was how do you value a brand, right? Brand was seen as an intangible asset on the books. You knew it had value, the Nike tick but you didn't know how much value and it was a finger in the air. Are you saying that they have a measured way of valuing data or is it still an intangible asset? I know there's a lot of money in that data. I just don't know how much money. Therefore I'm just going to stick a number on the book and that's the valuation. I.e., 175 billion is a, yeah, that sounds about right. Or is it? Yeah, no, actually that amount of data has this value because we know, is, is it intangible or tangible valued? So I don't know exactly what model they've done. I, I, I do know that they haven't yet finalized, you know, the thinking. There are many different approaches that are being uh, looked at at, the, at this point of time. Um, my take of it is that it's going to be in a true kind of marketplace point of view. Point of view. It's going to be whoever is willing to pay X for that data and then no one is willing to go higher. Well, that will be the value of data. Um, but that's going to take some time, you know, in term, and, and the thing is, you know, not all data is equal, you know, some data oh, yeah. Yeah. has a value right now and, and other data will, will appreciate potentially in value. Um, it, it all depends. Okay. Uh, I don't I mean, think there's one rule for it all. I know one industry that's very keen on it is the music industry and the film industry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, the music industry, especially, you know, they've yeah. lost a lot of money and now they see blockchain as a way of being able to put someone's record or, or album onto let's say spotify and actually having a, a true account not spotify telling them but actually they know exactly how many times that track was played and so i can see yeah. the value in that so that's great so just to give you an example of yeah. that I, I can't remember the name of it but there was a blockchain that was launched you know there's so many blockchains that have been launched um, one for the music industry that basically gives the artist the control in terms of how much they sell their music depending on the recipient. And that is put in a smart contract. So for example- sorry, Depending on the recipient. So to, sorry, I'm depending on who is the, per, the consumer of the, the music. No, no, I understood what you yeah, meant. Yeah. I'm just curious as to why everyone's not equal. Well, because the, the consumer could be a student. Right. Who uh. doesn't have the money. The, the, the recipient could be a, a, a 30 year old you know, female or male who is a professional. The recipient could be a, a music, a, yeah, sorry, 
it's small company that produces movies and they want a soundtrack behind it. The, the whole point is that the producer of that, that the artist can decide within a smart contract that depending on the, and the party, which makes the, make the, the purchase of the song that it has different pricing mechanisms that it's automatically handled between the two identification, the two IDs. Right. And, and that's, you know, that, that will perhaps we'll discuss later. It comes to this whole world potentially, you know, of self-sovereign ID where data is autonomous and it, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it can make decisions depending on what you instructed it to. So for example, that song could go out for free for the first thousand downloads, could go out for free for all kids who are in school under the age of 16. It can't be distributed, of course. Um, and it, it goes a different pricing mechanism and depending on the idea of the person who's trying to purchase it. Yeah. I mean, that's brilliant. I mean, I think, I think it's what the industry wants It's control of their content because I think somebody described web 2.0 and digitization of uh, assets is like having a free photocopier. You just make as million copies. And now what you're saying is web 3.0. Yeah. You can make your copies, but each copy is going to cost you now. Now you have to put your money in to get that copy made even if you wanted to, or even if you just wanted to sell it and distribute it, at least we know how much money we're bringing back in. It's no longer, it, yeah, can, so be f- back to, so it can be free if you to, want it to be. Yeah, so coming back to your, in, your analogy of the photocopier is that I would have to give you permission <laughs> to make a copy of that. Yeah. Each of those copies will have a unique idea of their, their own and aware that there are, there are other um, um, copies of themselves. Another point that is important it's important to make about the difference between the web 2.0 and the web 3.0 is a, coming back to this point of, is around ID. And that is one of the major things that um, the web 3.0 will, will provide is if you think about the web 2.0, we are given an ID, you know, your Sam says he at Google, your Sam mm-hmm. says he at Facebook or whatever, right? Um, these institutions or companies provide you an, an, an ID. They have your best interests at heart various degrees and levels of course but it's fundamentally going to be their shareholders interest right and that's always going to be the requirement and because of that and you know in europe we we've had the luck of having gdpr to try and uh, help rectify some of those inequalities regarding the the power um but gdpr is very difficult to implement now what web 3.0 is that you are the owner of your id you know, it's, you're right, it's, um, there's this thing called self-serving ID. So I could have a bank that gives information to me that goes, that sits in my ID, but they, 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 they have it. I have access to that information. The hospital has information on my ID, which I have access to. The, uh, the DVLA, you know, for the non-UK uh, listeners, you know, uh, the driving authority has information regarding my license. I have access to all that data right? If they update anything on their file locally regarding me, it updates on mine. So I'm the controller and owner of that data. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's been an application I've wanted built that would be perfect for that. So um, someone will do it because I'm not smart enough, but I'll tell you what I thought it was. Uh, I'm sure you can work it out how to do it. Um, your contacts list in your phone or on your laptop is well mine is anyway it's a total mess now i have no idea half of them are up to date and i can't be bothered to keep going back in and updating them 
I would love a distributed blockchain, which would be my contacts database, which would fundamentally mean I only control one record, mine, right? So I update my record, which is samsethiatme.com or my mobile number, and I give you permission to access my contacts. So now in your blockchain locally ledger, you've got a copy of my number, you've got a copy. If I change my number on my phone or I change my address or the company I work for, it gets distributed to everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if I don't like you anymore and I don't want you to have access to my contacts, I can delete it out of your contacts database. You can't have it anymore because it's mine. And that Correct. would fix the whole world of contacts because then I wouldn't have to be doing it myself, going into my contacts going, now Walid, now I've got him at something at trusted places. No, that's not his new address. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, you would, because of our friend relationship, have kept your contacts database up to date. And as a distributed ledger called the blockchain, guess what? We would all have an up-to-date record. Now, someone go out there, if you're listening, please bloody build it, because I really want that. That is actually <laughs> the killer app for the blockchain for me, is fixing the contacts database. So if someone makes a billion dollars, can I have 1%, please? <laughs> That's, I'm putting it out there now. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> that is the killer app for me, by the way. So there you go. But aside from that, okay, um, so I love what's going on with blockchain. It just feels a bit um, like it's too good to be true. What are the problems with blockchain? There must be. I, mean, I know, for example, on the Bitcoin blockchain, one of the problems was speed of transaction. So a lot of the issues around companies using it as a mechanism for payments, like let's say Barclays or Visa or debit cards, whatever, was that they couldn't make the transaction. There was, I think it was six transactions per second compared to 60 or 100 transactions per second. Uh, so on, so is, yeah. what are the problems with blockchain that you, you're hearing, seeing or facing? Okay, so um, again, I'm going to differentiate between public and, and, and private. Yeah, no, so part in, part of the pu state. public stuff out of the way, yeah. Okay, so uh, I, I mean, I can say a few words of example. Yeah. Um, Financial institutions like Barclays and, and NatWest would not be looking at Bitcoin because for them, the problem there is uh, ex they, 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 they're effectively being disintermediated. So for them, there's no real interest. They're, they're looking more at technologies like Ripple uh, to help them with that potentially. Um, but or the other thing that they're looking at is the creation of what's called a stable coin, which is a, basically a kind of Bitcoin, but it, it, it's backed up by um, pounds, euros, or dollars, or whatever, so it yeah. doesn't have the crazy the fiat problem. currency. Exactly. Now, um, and in that world, uh, you have the issue of speed transactions, and you also have the fact that it's not very, uh, it's not at all climate uh, change friendly because it uses a lot of electricity in terms of the computational power to to do what's called a proof of work to be able to mine a transaction. Now that being looked at an address through something called a proof of stake, which is a slightly different method. But as I said, so that's in the public space. In the private space, you don't have that, that issue. You don't have the issue about speed of transactions because you don't have the zillions of transactions that you have in the public space. Um, and then, and so you have a defined number of participants and the transaction flow that is happening through that is more than sufficient uh, for that. Now, what is the biggest problem uh, regarding that? Funny enough, it's not so much technology. <laughs> the biggest problem is people. 
So and, no, and people getting in the way of systems. Never, ever. Well, okay. Go on. What's Effect the problem? Effectively, what DLT solutions again for the private space is is that I agree that I'm gonna be sharing my database with other players which are competitors. That gets people really scared. Then you say, okay, well, actually, you're not sharing your entire database. You have control of your data. It, I, you're actually getting more control. And you can say who gets to see what, what portion of it, and for how long, right? So you've got, you, yeah, and you can, and, and, and that gives you that, that power. But then people are like, but wait a second. Surely there's some clever IT guy in the other company that can hack their way through. Like, potentially, but no. You know, up to now that hasn't happened. So there's always this fear of new systems, whether it's called the web, whether it's called the cloud, whether it's called blockchain. There's always people that says, hey, it was better in the good old days or it was better the way it is now. I don't want to change. And that is what you're seeing is, um, as I said, so I've, I've done, you know, 85 podcasts and I've seen um, blockchain initiatives. I started off as a, uh, as a POC, as a proof of concept and have matured into a proper a minimum viable product, an MVP, and then into a production grade. Some which some of the ones who did not go along that path, the hurdle they came across was around governance. And basically governance is how you and a group of other people agree on how you're gonna work together. So at the stage of the proof of concept, companies are throwing maybe 10, 20,000 pounds each to prove this, this, this concept. It's not a lot of money. It's something that comes out of the innovation department. They can do it. It's a learning exercise, right? The proof of concept happens. They learn a lot and they realize, you know what? This could help me save 30 to 40% of my backend systems. Great. We should invest it into it. How much? Well, we're talking it might be half a million. And then it's like, okay, now we're talking about more interesting money here. I want to dig into this more deeply. What does it actually mean? Well, it means you're going to be sharing data in this manner and you're going to control your data. Okay, but I don't, if I do that, then I want those guys to pay me more in, in commissions when I do an insurance policy because I'm in the carrier and you're the broker and, and so on. And that's when things start to break down because we get into the way we cannot agree on what is the common objective we're trying to do. What, what is that common objective? Well, we want to remove duplication of work. <laughs> When I'm sending information to you, we have to reconcile. So we both do the work on our, on each other's side. That is a cost. Or, you know, we, we want to, um, remove some kind of backend administration system that we all have. We can kill it by having this distributed, uh, ledger technology. Surely that's a good thing, right? But that means, you know, a certain amount of sharing. All we're saying is that remove this backend and move your, the competitive space to a higher level. You're now all accessing data. You can each create better products. Let's focus on the front side in terms of what is the actual proposition we're giving to our clients, how cost effective it can be. You know, in, in the insurance industry is you want to reduce the insurance gap of the people who can't get insurance because insurance carriers cannot provide to them in a profitable manner. We had an interesting case study of uh, a firm called Etherisk which developed with um, Aon a uh, small insurance for farmers in Sri Lanka, for example. That could not have been done before because it was just not cost effective for the insurance carrier to do it. So all, what blockchain enables us to do is to remove a lot of the backend costs 
remove the duplication of work, sharing the data so that we can compete in a higher level playing field, which is more around the customer facing experience. And that means having an effective governance solution to do that. Not everyone is willing to do that. And that's what a lot of the blockchain initiatives stop. And the other thing is that we expect, you know, any new technology, we always expect it that it's going to do a whole lot more than what it actually can in the short term, but we are always underestimate what it will do in the long term. I'm sure that when Amazon launched as a shitty looking website, you know, for buying books, no one could have predicted that most of its profits will be coming from, you know, Amazon web services. You know, no one could have been see that. And here, blockchain is at the state of being the shitty looking website selling books. <laughs> That's all we're at. We have no clue how far is this going to go. We have some ideas, but we will see. Yeah, I mean, I think, <clears throat> how old is blockchain now, would you say, as a technology, roughly? Well, for me, it's ever since Bitcoin launched. So, um, so it's ten, uh, just over 10 years. Yeah, so most technologies take a decade. I mean, the iPhone's only 10 years old. The web's only 30 years old. I mean, you know, let's, let's get perspective here. So you've got a technology that's embryonic that people are now only been talking about for the last four or five years, let's say, that, has, as you said, gone from POVs to MVPs to production but there's not many production no. it's still it's still early days and then what you're talking about is is inter cooperation using dlts to break what is a competitive market space and change the the way people deal with each other now that is going over what we i call the creepy line okay that is that is you know when people got google glasses it's like are you recording me and now people are less worried about it and you know it's like you, you something comes in you get one step forward you make two steps back and then you go again and it's like it's all sorry two steps forward one step back and you, you have this sort of movement so I'm, i can imagine in 10 years time it will be a business as normal will be to have yeah, a blockchain goal you're, not, you're never going to mention blockchain i mean yeah. when we talk about the web do we ever talk, mention tcpip we don't exactly <laughs> yeah i was going to say it's going to be synonymous with tcpip yeah, and I was going to say, when do we stop mentioning that it uses AI? Everything I read, everywhere. Oh, and this database uses AI to get you. It's like, stop. I don't say SQL Server to every solution, right? Yeah, okay. yeah exactly. So what, what you're seeing now is is the, the embryonic or the hockey stick beginning to grow. And, and yeah. I, I, I guess it must be across multiple industries you're focusing on a couple of industries but you must also be looking outside your narrow focus of industry at others yeah correct correct i mean um you know there is a gartner has developed something called the gartner hype cycle yeah which is you know th this curve you know and, and basically where we're at now is the trough of disillusionment oh, okay. where uh, a lot of money had been in, invested in so okay you got to see how boards and ceos work right uh, in 2016, um, blockchain was creeping from the public space into the private space. You know, so companies were starting to experiment, doing some POCs, simply because CEOs of those firms were being asked by the press, by their board, by their advisors, what are you doing about blockchain? And they're like, what the hell is blockchain? <laughs> okay, this is what it does, fine. Let me invest some money and see what happens, right? And trying to learn. So we started, firms across industries started investing lots of money. Right, building and building and building um, blockchain applications. Again, building loads and loads of beautiful, shiny hammers, but with no nails to, to hit on, right? So it was really um, solutions trying to find a problem. 
So, but that's normal. That's what happens in innovation curves. You know, we, we build a tech and try and understand how it functions and what it can be used for. So that happened throughout 2017 also. And then in 2018, you know, a lot of companies were like, well, blockchain doesn't work. You know, I've invested all these millions. I'm getting no ROI. So it's like when you build a city, right? And you build the pipes, you know, for, for the electricity, for the water, for the gas, you know, your ROI is going to take a long time to come through. And to some degree, you, you have some of that in the blockchain. In the insurance industry, for example, I had, um, one, I had two guests on my show saying, uh, yes, 75% um, of our POCs did not need a blockchain. That's what we realized. So we wasted all this money. But you know what? They're still investing in blockchain and they've actually increased it, that investment because now they've learned what the technology actually can do. Yeah. So we're, we're now at a stage where the firms who are, let's say, enlightened or who've understood it are, are, are actually have dedicated teams within the companies focused on blockchain solutions and who are either part of a consortium. So for example, in the insurance industry, the two biggest ones are uh, B3i and uh, Risk Stream Collaborative in, in North America. Um, you have Mobi in the automotive industry. Um, you have um, one which is coming out, which is called EMI in uh, the pharmaceutical side. Um, and you've got, you know, a number of others, which, which are Marco Polo, that's it in trade finance, and a number of others which are coming out. Um, and firms are investing in these consortiums because blockchain is a team sport. You know, you work with both your partners and with your competitors. Doing blockchain for yourself is a waste of your time and your money. Um, and just to coming back to the, the Gartner hype cycle and, and adoption of new technologies, uh, I had um, the CEO of Accord, which sets the data standards in, across the insurance industry. And he had a very important statement. He, he was basically saying that the time latency between a new technology arriving and it becoming mainstream is getting shorter. You know, we, we mentioned, you know, for example, the web, you know, mobile phones, you know, cloud technology, it's, it's becoming shorter. So the point is, is, if you don't engage with that technology earlier on, you're going to miss the boat. You know, you're going to be left out. So it could be argued that it is, you know, a duty of, of a CEO to make sure that the firm is, you know, going to be um, growing and, you know, trading in the decades to come that they actually look at this technology. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as you said, it adds to the bottom line. Um, it will save them money because of backend processes and information exchange, but it also make the money because the data has value. And, and it has a value and they can, and, they, and because you have uh, lower backend costs, you have better data, you can develop better customer centric propositions and you can go into untapped markets that you couldn't before. Uh, I'll give you another example. Um, and it's a lovely initiative. Uh, I call it under the uh, blockchain for good kind of vertical, uh, which I'm going to be uh, doing a podcast with um, David Katz, uh, Katz. He's the CEO of something called the Plastic Bank. Oh, and wow. He's brilliant. Uh, you, you've heard him. So, oh, so yeah, him he's brilliant. In, in, in two weeks' time. Um, and effectively what he's done, if, if I summarize, is that he, um, he decided to empower uh, local people who live next to water bodies to basically collect plastic. Uh, and that plastic is collected and is put into uh, a, a, a collection point and they get, they get paid in tokens. Now, those tokens can then be used 
to buy uh, you know, education for their kids, you know, fuel, electricity, whatever. Now, buying them, who's, who, who's funding those tokens? And that's where the, the model also becomes interesting because we're increasingly seeing you know, large firms wanting to be able to get good quality plastics, recycled plastics. Um, an example of that is Adidas. You know, Adidas is now producing sneakers made of recycled plastic from the ocean. Yep. Um, Marks and Spencer's and, and a bunch of other companies are using recycled plastics that comes from the ocean and other waterways. And what those guys, what everyone here needs, those corporations want a providence trial of where the plastic came from. How has it, how has it processed for it to be become, become good? They're happy to pay a bit more money if they know that the money that, 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 it is, that they buy and the plastic with goes to those communities for social good. Yeah. And those local entrepreneurs, when they get paid, they don't want to carry cash because they can get robbed. So they want to be able to have the tokens to be able to purchase those goods. Yeah. So it's, it's a nice circular economy, which can only happen using blockchain technology. Yeah, and oh, I love the plastic bank. It's it's such a great idea, and hopefully more companies will join them as points of uh, payment. So, for example, um, I know for a lot of homeless people, I mean, forget far away, even locally here, um, you know, homeless people could use that, collect it, and then the tokens are limited in where you can purchase from so that they can't go and buy alcohol or drugs with it, but they yeah. do have to go and get food or clothing or, or shelter. It's just exactly. A idea. So exactly. I, will be, I will be listening to that one when that comes out, that'll be great. Yeah. And, and, but you see, this is an example of what can happen when you use a technology like blockchain that can remove, reduce the cost and it can provide value from both uh, a firm like Adidas or, or an entre local entrepreneur. Um, because those individuals now, those local entrepreneurs are unbanked, but effectively, if you start proving that they, and you can through the, through the app, that they're collecting X amount of plastic every week, there's a regular amount of, of income effectively that's coming. You can then start offering loans for them to be able to make some investments. And there is another company called PowerLedger, which effectively provides solar panels. It started off in Australia where you could exchange electricity not just with the grid as you can here, but with, with your neighbors. Now, the idea was how can you provide that to developing economies, like for example, in Africa, where villages can have those solar panels and sell that electricity to other communities um, around in the district. And that regularity of payments, again, gives the opportunity of making the unbanked into banking, banking ones. So it has great potential technology in terms of what it enables entrepreneurs around the world to do. Brilliant. Now, what else do you see coming down the track with blockchain? <clears throat> I mean, in my head, I've got one question I want to ask. You, you talk about consortiums, you talk about standardized data, you talk about private blockchains. My worry is having come from a data background, I was uh, at a company called MicroStrategy, you end up with silos again. So you're moving data in from one silo back into another blockchain silo. So would, would the data that's in one blockchain, is it, is it transportable again, or is it still standardized for a consortium or standardized for a private blockchain? So the standardization is, this is the data within our little blockchain that we're all gonna to agree to use, but actually it's totally useless. I can't take the data out again to another one. 
Um, so that's a, that's a good, very good question. Um, could it, and there's multiple ways of looking at this uh, to, um, to answer it. One of them is you got to look at it from the, the technology level, and then you've got the business network level, and, and, I, and I'll address both of them. So again, because I look mainly on the, on the private side, so in the, um, in the private side, you had at the end of last year, the Ethereum Enterprise Alliance made a partnership with Hyperledger Fabric to look about how you can standardize, you know, the, the, so there's interoperability between the two blockchains. Because yeah, at exactly. that point, yeah. there wasn't. Um, so then what we, we had to, to look at is same thing with Corda, with R3's Corda. Unfortunately, that hasn't happened uh, yet. Uh, so the, that is something which I hope will happen because at the end of the day, you don't want to have for those listeners which are not too young, the, the VHS Betamax problem we had in the past. Uh, which is what I was wondering, yeah. Yeah, which we had different size cassettes. Now, each of those technology platforms have consortiums that have been built upon. So for example, in the insurance industry, you have the B3I consortium and you have the risk uh, stream collaborative uh, consortium. They're both using um, uh, R3's Corda. So on the technology level, they're fine. They're both collaborating using Accord as a data standard. So theoretically, you don't have any interoperability issues. But then you still need to look at potentially, you know, the governance, you know, in terms of the data exchange that happened, how that's going to be regulated. Um, with all of these things, we're still in the very early stages. Um, in May uh, 2018 of this year, I, I ran a cross-industry um, blockchain workshop in New York where I had participants from the construction industry, the insurance industry, trade finance, and healthcare. And it we had two objectives. One was uh, let's exchange blockchain best practice. And the second one was um, do we think there is value in interconnecting our respective blockchain consortium cross industries? If there is value, how would we go around doing it? And it's very, very early stage because you have to remember that even at a um, consortium level and an industry level, they're already in the early stages. So thinking about doing that across is just way too far. But I, I think it is something that you need to keep uh, a mind on and the heads on because it will have implications, you know, in terms of how you design those blockchains from a data structure um, point of view, from a governance point of view. Um, and if they could even engage in those conversations so that they keep themselves open to that possibly, I think that will happen. Because if we remember, the internet started off as a bunch of intranets, you know, not at a company level just, but also at a nation level. I mean, France had its Minitel, the UK and the US had their own respective systems. And it's only when TCP IP came in that everything got interconnected. So I'm seeing a similar kind of system kind of happening nowadays. You have industry level um, blockchain event, um, consortiums are being set up, but nothing that is cross industry. But yet there is of course a lot of value in, in looking at that. Um, whether it is a pharmaceutical product that is being uh, that comes from a blockchain consor pharmaceutical consortium that goes into a supply chain consortium, and then if something happens, it goes into an insurance consortium. You know, all this will have to be interlinked. Yeah, I mean, 
Tim Berners-Lee gave his BBC Wreath lecture and he talked about how when he was at CERN, um, every team that was working there had their own little system uh, of computers and data. And he said the only way that they could interchange information was to go down to the coffee shop and, and literally talk about it. And then he came up with hyperlinks and, and HTML and everything else. And we live in the world of that web today. Yeah. Um, and it was just, it just struck me as that this feels like, you know, private blockchains, the data gets put into one format. It's different in another place. But then when you might want to do something smart, like with, uh, with a smart contract, the government might say, okay, uh, an insurance company might say, okay, I want to check Mr. Sethi's, uh, I don't know, has he had any speeding fines? Um, did he crash his car? Has he got a license from the DVLA? And that might be accessing multiple different private blockchains of what are records of trust, but I have to then be able to do, I'm going to make up a word here, meta chain it. Um, hey, it might. Hey, I interviewed Ben Hammersley. He made up podcasts the other day and, and that stuck. So I'm sticking with meta chains, right? If that ever happens, we're, it was here that it came about, but it's never going to happen. You know. Anyway, how extracting data as a query from multiple blockchains, I, I guess, will be something that people will want to do in the future because um, checking, you know, my insurance health, you know, medical record versus something else with something else and matching it all together with my location data and everything else with permission, obviously. But, but I can see that happening. So again, that's why I asked the question. So. Yeah, I mean, th th there's two ways that also this can uh, intermarry steps before you're gonna have full in in interoperability between all the systems. One is that, as I said, you know, self-storing ID regarding your ID example. Uh, one of the firms which, are, which is leading that is called Sovereign. And they, um, they have basically a, a system of stewardships between different um, companies and blockchain initiatives where they all, let's say, accept sovereign IDs and can uh, validate IDs onto sovereign. So that is one way regarding IDs. So it's cross, you know, blockchains. It's interoperable in that perspective. The other one is that with regards to smart contracts, you could argue that different blockchains could act as an oracle for each other. So they act as a trigger. So you don't need to, you don't need to have a central database, like a weather database. It could be a, a whole blockchain consortium acting as an oracle. That could be one way, but, we will see in, in due course. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting you talk about that. Would countries run blockchains? Um, I give an example, you know, for example, um, the uh, India started to put a national database of every individual. They started to digitize that as a, now I can imagine India then making that into a blockchain, a, a record of, you know, unreputed data, you know, this is Sam Sethi. He was born here in Delhi, blah, 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 at this date and time, right? That's, that's immutable. So um, would you envisage, I mean, I know this is not everything you do, but would you envisage, given the background you have, uh, of countries running blockchains? So it, there's numerous uh, attempts at that. It's not just countries. Also, there is um, uh, cross-countries initiatives, like at the EU level. And there is a lot of investment that's happening in the EU in terms of blockchain technology and how it can help uh, with that. Estonia is actually a leader in, uh, in um, using blockchain technology for public services. Um, they're even looking at, at uh, electronic patient health records you know, being put on the blockchain. 
Yeah, I think uh, you can actually get an Estonian digital ID now. Yeah, you can. Uh, Malta, also uh, called uh, Good the old Malta. Blockchain Bill Island. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anytime I hear Malta, it's from the Eurovision Song Contest. Isn't it? Really? Nil <laughs> <laughs> <Mille> point. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 it, it's known as the Blockchain Island, and it's and it's attracting a lot of um, blockchain initiatives uh, to the island, and because it has a, a very uh, friendly regulatory framework. Uh, that's the thing is that you have small-ish jurisdictions which are really seeing blockchain as an opportunity to differentiate yourself. So um, Bermuda, Gibraltar, um, Malta, um, Bahrain, uh, Dubai are all locations where there's been a lot of blockchain investment um, and, and, and um, the regulatory framework also has been very supportive of that, at least in engaging. And here in the UK, we got the FCA which has um, a sandbox area. They invite companies to um, basically connect with them and experiment. And if I remember correctly, 40 or 50% of the last two cohorts have had blockchain related companies. So it is, and that's the thing which I failed to mention earlier on is that, you know, blockchain works not just with your partners, your competitors, but you also have to work with your regulators about it. You know, fundamentally, blockchain could be something that is very good for the end consumer because you're giving them power back in terms of, you know, for example, their idea and, and the ownership of their data. Um, but, you know, regulators um, in general are very supportive as long as the, is it understood that you're here to talk about blockchain technology and not crypto, then you're fine. Yeah. Now, when you were saying all those countries that are leading the, the charge with blockchain, all I was going in my head was tax haven, tax haven. That's yeah. a tax haven, tax haven. So why, why are all these tax havens leading the charge? Well, I, I don't know if it is simply because they're tax um, havens. It, it's just that they're, they want to attract investments, right? So, they, they, I mean, I know, um, you know, both Malta and Gibraltar and Bermuda want large companies, blockchain-related companies, to set up shop there, right? Um, yeah. And develop so that there are many you know reasons potentially you know to, for doing it but in terms of other jurisdictions i mean china recently has said you know they're, they're all in into blockchain yes uh, which which is which is very interesting uh in itself and um i'm trying very hard to get a, a spokesperson you know to come on my show to to explain that a bit more but it's it's hard to get that i i see why they would want it you know they, they've got the social score in china that they're developing which is fundamentally uh, every action or transaction that you do is recorded and scored. So that if you, uh, for example, if you buy games consoles or you buy alcohol, you get a negative score. But if you buy nappies or whatever, you get a positive score. If you have a parking fine, you get a negative score. And the resultant end score, a bit like your old clout score that we used to have on the old, before that died, is that, you can't buy first class train tickets or you can't book a hotel or you don't get it at that price, you know, so price differential. So uh, I can see why they're doing it because they want to record every transaction and have it as immutable and then put a score on it and create this social score. Yeah. I mean, so maybe that's, back, it, it maybe that's more, why they're doing it. It comes back to more fundamental um, aspect is regards, you know, to data and to privacy. I mean, for me, you've got three types of models. You've got the Chinese model, um, if I can paraphrase it, which is centralize everything. We want to know everything. 
um, and the gov- and you got to do what the government says effectively, right? Then so it's more likely to be a DLT rather than a blockchain because it's going to be controlled. It's decentralized data, but centralized organization. Or if it's decentralized, but we want to be able to be everywhere at the same time. I, 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 again, yeah. I don't know okay. how they're going to do it, but it, it has an element of control. I want to see everything. Okay. Then you've got the second model, which is, I would say, the more of the American model, uh, which came out after September 11th, which is do your stuff, you know, companies, um, but we want a backdoor. You know, we want to be able to have the right to come in and view stuff. And then you've got the third model, which is the uh, European model, which is, oh, well, you know, we're not quite happy with what things are going. So we're going to enact GDPR and we're going to try and protect our citizens. Um, now, all three of these models has advantages and disadvantages. You could argue that the Chinese centralized way of doing things, you know, works better. And you could argue that the so like more capitalist way, you know, let's let the, fit, the best, you know, win um, could work best. It's, it's hard to tell because perhaps we're going to touch on this now, but blockchain works really well with AI and IoT. And AI needs a lot of data. Who provides that data? Well, it seems IoT is going to provide a lot of that data. And the way blockchain comes in is that blockchain can tell to the AI that this data came from this IoT and it hasn't been tampered with and it has been enriched by these and these players. These are their IDs, right? right? And the AI says, okay, I'm getting good quality data. I can, learn, I can learn from it and I can become smarter and better, more efficient at what I'm doing. Is that better implemented through a capitalist kind of model or is that better implemented through a centralized model? I don't know. No, I don't know the we'll answer see. to that. I think, I think the, the bit you are talking about though is the other bits of the web 3.0, which is IoT getting smarter. I mean, Amazon announced this week that you, they can now do it within one meg uh, what they required 100 meg to do, which is to put a chip on a uh, a device and have Alexa added to it, so that you know the the, the raw power is back at the central, well, not the central, but at the, at the AWS level. Um, again, you're right. You know, um, our IoT devices are dumb today, but wait till they get contextual location information. Most most IoT devices don't even know where they are. Right. So so that's interesting because I had the um... Uh, the head of strategy at Bosch, uh, head of strategy at blockchain uh, at Bosch on my show two weeks ago. Right. And the show was all about the, um, the economy of things. And basically it's about transforming an IoT device into an economic agent, which is this IoT is to some degree self-aware yep. and, and it can make decisions on its own and it can transact on its own. And, and that is, is very interesting. So an example could be, um, let's say, an autonomous vehicle, fully electric, uh, and it can negotiate with different parking bays where it should park and get the best electricity. And, put to, and, and th- in theory, I, I saw a video about that, and also know uh, where, ha- where is, is there a good coffee shop potentially that I could go and sit in while my, char- my car is being charge because they know my 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 behaviors and, and what i like and don't like hopefully by the time that system comes in the actual battery is self-charging rapidly but who knows who knows exactly <laughs> who knows but but it's interesting because again if we think about the evolution of things you know we we, we had you know devices that performed a function then th- those devices started getting sensors which were put into the internet those sensors were providing data 
to a silo database. And now I think, okay, well, you know, with a, with a bit of code and a bit of interaction, we can now make those sensors, you know, through self-aware and uh, with a bit of AI and they can make decisions on their own. So yeah. we're, we're increasingly getting what, what I call, um, we're moving from the analog to the digital, but from the digital back to the analog. So hear me out. So you have a sensor in the analog world. It, 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 it grabs a lot of data. It's sent into the digital world to process, right? And that data sits potentially within a data marketplace with lots of other sources of information. They exchange, they trade, decisions are made. And that goes back into the analog world for an action. Print this on a 3D printer. Drive this car in this direction. Fly the drone in this direction. That's for me is this kind of circular kind of loop between analog and digital where everything that is analog has a digital twin effectively. Yeah. And I, I can see a really simple example being, you know, my, my heating company provider could be multiple. Um, but it, my, my device could be, okay, who's, who's selling the best electricity at this price point today? Who's selling the best gas, right? And it can switch and turn and the smart yeah. contract could be used to make that happen and stuff like that. So, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to this great world. I just know, I don't know if I'll be alive when it arrives. That's, I mean, I don't know what do you see as the time frame for something like this? I mean, <laughs> yeah, so the time frame is really anyone's guess. It's as, it's as much as a guess as some of those investment banks bring valuations to companies. I, I, I really don't know. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm ex super excited by it. Um, there's a lot of things that are happening in, that seem to be accelerating its development. Uh, in the insurance space, we're seeing a lot more blockchain projects becoming production grade um, at the end of this year, early next year. So that's all very encouraging. But there's still so many pieces of the puzzle that have to come into a place. The regulators need to be com come full on board. Um, you need the infrastructure uh, to go more and more digital to happen. You need people's mentality because we're talking about infrastructure and tech as being legacy systems. That is relatively easy. It's legacy mindsets, which is the hardest thing to, to evolve. Um, and, and that has to come through. But who knows? Um, you know, if we look at some of the initiatives, I mean, I'm, I'm sure the mobility industry didn't see Waymo come out, right? So who knows who's going to come left, right, and center and say, hey, I've got a solution. Because if you think about it, what Facebook, Amazon, um, Google and Apple have done is that they've left their traditional sector, right, to tackle other industries simply because they can. They understand data. They understand digital. The other industries are seeing digital as distribution. They're seeing data as a nice to have. How many uh, companies I've met where Google Analytics sits in IT instead of being in the business? You know. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. So. I don't know, 10 years, 20 years, we will see, but I'm very excited by it. I mean, if you think about it, 15 years ago, right? You wanted a cab, you had to go down. Now we call it Uber. You wanted to meet a, a partner, you would go into a bar or someone's party, right? Now you go on, on um, Tinder. Oh, Tinder, yes. Only I forgot the name. Yeah. No, no, you, you're supposed to be very good. If your wife's watching that, well done, man. <laughs> Obviously, darling, I have no idea what it was. It wasn't there for me. I can't remember it. Well done. Very good. I must remember to do that. Butter over the word Tinder. I'm waiting for someone else to say it. Yeah.
uh, I think I, I was jumping into my next example, which was business bank banking. I was thinking about title. <laughs> title. Uh, okay. yeah. title in Tinder. Yeah, don't get your banking confused. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> that could be very messy. <laughs> yeah, swipe right for the checks, swipe right for the payment. No, that's not right. Uh, but yeah, so we will see. Uh, last question. Yeah. Um, individual blockchains. So for you and I, um, would, would you envisage a world in which my laptop becomes a blockchain, you know, the data on it? Uh, bear with me, for example. Um, you know, if I want to share stuff, I put it up, I have to put it up into Dropbox or I store it wherever. You know, would there be a point where, for example, my, my mail is non-repudiated? You know, I get an e email, it's structured, it knows it's the date and the time. You know, a lot of people I know can go into their mail, change the date, forward it on to you. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't get it till last week. No, whatever. Blah, blah, blah. You I know? thought I was the only one who did it. Damn, damn. Well, I was ahead of the curve. Um, <laughs> But non-repudiation on email is something that, you know, Microsoft's Exchange has been able to do for years in corporates. But I'm just trying to think of an example. And maybe there isn't an example right now, but would there be a point in time where you'd see me have an individual uh, database on, in a blockchain where I'm storing data that's not repudiated? Maybe I'm selling artwork that I do or I'm selling, uh, I don't know, something that I do. I create a piece of code and I want it to be structured and, I want it to be, you know, my for distribution, a bit like music, I guess, but it's mine and I want to know that it's not going to be replicated. I don't know. Is there, so, is there anything in that space, do you think? Okay, so for example, um, Ethereum is one yeah. of the largest um, public blockchains out there and anyone can build an application on top. Okay. Right? So that sits on the Ethereum blockchain itself, but it, it, it just leverages that platform just like you know, your email, you know, sits, you know, on the web effectively, you know, it just yeah. uses that infrastructure. So you could build, you know, if you want, if you wanted to an email application that would sit on the Ethereum, that that's not a problem. Um, but, but yeah, you wouldn't build a blockchain per se, you will be building an application on top of a blockchain. Yeah. And it was only because I remember Napster. Do you remember the good old days yeah, of yeah, Napster? Of you know, all of us downloaded a little bit of data locally and then I would share music from my laptop to somebody else. So somebody said, oh, has anyone got that file? Yeah, you've got it. Okay, can I have it? And that was a peer-to-peer -peer distributed database that I controlled from my laptop and everyone else did. Yeah. Uh, again, SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, was a peer-to-peer -peer yeah. shared so it's just, I'm trying to think of a good example. Maybe I can't Bitcoin, right For now. example, you know, you, you need, you, for you to interact on Bitcoin, you need to download, you know, uh, a piece of software effectively, right. you know, but um, so, so yeah, I mean, you, you, in all cases, you will have to download a piece of software, but you wouldn't go ahead and build a, a blockchain application like if, like a Napster one, unless if you are here to address a specific industry-wide problem or, or customer need, but Again, depending on how things evolve in the future, you know, you could potentially build that out, out of a, a public blockchain system such as Ethereum, just building an app on top of that. Because Brilliant. It, it, it has the infrastructure for you. Well, look, Walid, thank you so much for your time. No, that's my pleasure. Brilliant to hear everything you're doing. Now, for people, if they want to find you, yeah. how can they find you? Where, where so, can we go and find what you're up to? So you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, so it's just Walid Alsakaf uh, on LinkedIn. You can find me on insureblocks.com and on iTunes, um, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even Amazon Alexa, if you fancy it. 
uh, just say playing me the latest Introblocks episode. So brilliant. Be happy, and my podcasts are easy to listen to. And uh, for some reason, people in the gym listen to the podcast, which I find very entertaining. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) There you go. Places to listen to podcasting. Yes, indeed. Um, And in terms of, are you going to be public speaking anywhere? Can people come and find you? Uh, Or or are you just focusing on your, your corporate work still at the moment? So I do speak at conferences. I'm just trying to remember the ones which uh, I just finished one in, in Malta and I've got ones coming up in North America, potential uh, in Toronto, and um, not quite sure yet. Remember, I not I don't think I don't have anything planned yet for Europe. I don't want. Oh no, I do have in February, the 11th, I think, at Tintech, which is an insurance one. Um, so, so, yeah, LinkedIn is probably the best place for both Introblocks and myself. You can find me there on Introblocks.com, of course. Waleed, thank you so much for your thank time. Thank you, Sam. It's been a it was pleasure. great catching up. <laughs> Speak to you soon. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you, Sam. That show was amazing. To listen again, please visit our website, marlofm.co.uk or visit our Facebook group, Sam Talks Technology. And now you can subscribe on iTunes. Never miss a show again. See you next week. Same time, same place.